Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm going to speak this morning out of a text, Isaiah chapter 62. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It is going to come up on the screen. Uh, when I call for it, I'm not going to get quiet there. I'm just giving you some time to prep yourselves. But... Uh, you know that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? Okay, so, uh, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus' throne is built on justice and righteousness. And so justice and righteousness is Jesus' throne, that's the foundation of his throne. And then the church, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So sometimes it's good for us to actually go and look at these Old Testament guys called the prophets and see what they had to say. It's kind of that section of books in the Bible. Uh, there's 16 of them, by the way. It takes up quite a large chunk of this thing called the Old Testament, which is that part of the Bible pre-Jesus. And, uh, and these guys had a lot to say, but sometimes it's confusing. They, they write in poetry and they write in language that we don't understand, and it can be really quite clumsy. And so we just kind of avoid that section altogether. And uh, sometimes uh, God kind of impresses it upon us to, to read them, and we kind of say, God, please help us make sense of it. And uh, I, th- I think that God's... Uh, has helped me make sense of Isaiah chapter 62, and I'm going to try and help you uh, this morning in this journey as we try to understand something, some component piece of who the local church is, what God's desire is for us, and, uh, and how that all fits together. But um, what Mark didn't say is, I've got a couple of kids. Uh, am I a bit loud? Uh, I've got a couple of kids. Um, how many? I've got two girls, and I've got five boys. And uh, we are very privileged uh, at our home to have a swimming pool. And in Durban, it gets really, really hot and humid, uh, kind of for 11 and a half months of the year. Uh, and it's beautiful. And so we enjoy swimming as a family. And so this is the deal. I've got my youngest one is Tyden, and he's four years old, and he, he can swim. He's, he's water safe. But he's not the most confident oak when he's got four older brothers and his dad's in the pool and chucking kids off his shoulders and all of this. So often what will happen, my surname's Mungavin, by the way, it's an unusual surname, but when the Mungavin family are all together in the swimming pool, it can be quite chaotic. So my eldest boy is 10, and he is a bus. uh, Is that common language here? I mean, he, he is frisky, he is strong, he... He never, he's got a beautifully soft heart, but he just hurts people because he just doesn't know his own strength. And so he will often, he'll be under the water and then he comes, explodes out the water. I always dreamed, uh, I was never a swimmer or a water polo player, but uh, I always appreciated these guys who could get out the water kind of up to this level and they could just kind of stay there. My son can do that, Jed, but he'll go under the water and he'll explode up. My next uh, eldest boy uh, considers himself to be a surfer. And although we've banned the surfboard in the swimming pool, it always finds its way into the swimming pool. And you know surfboards have uh, sharp edges. So what he will often do is line up his surfboard and he kind of takes a flying run up and dives on it and sees if he can make it all the way across our pool. It is quite long. And so he tries to make it all the way across the pool. Then I've got uh, an older daughter who's a little bit of a princess. Uh, She's beautiful, but uh, she likes to lie on the lilo. And just, you know... If she was old enough, it would be a cocktail in her hand with a little umbrella, and just like, don't splash me. 
don't splash me. And so this is all the activity that's going on. And my little four-year-old, because he always takes a little bit longer to do everything. So, I mean, when everybody, we kind of go, hey, we can better get into the swimming pool. Everyone, they've got their baggies on if they're boys and the girls. I mean, they all get dressed. And here's my little boy, and he's trying to take his pants off, and he's trying to put his pants on. So he just takes a little bit longer. And now he's coming, running to the pool. But now he sees the surfboard going. Now he's got his sister saying, don't splash me. Now he's got his older brother who he knows is going to come. As he's going to jump into the water, my boy's going to come out with his hands like this unintentionally, but give him one in the nose, and he's going to get a blood nose. True story. Uh, Or he's going to get cut by the surfboard, uh, which actually happened while we were in Doha. I I got hold of my wife and just said, how's everyone going? And there's my 10-year-old boy, my 8-year-old boy with the surfboard had dinged him in the eye, so he had this big cut down his face. I'm like, ah! But this is the story of family life together. And so everyone in our family considers themselves part of the family, and we get into the swimming pool, but my 4-year-old, who desperately wants to come and swim, feels unsafe to do so. And I felt God in that image kind of say, actually, that's so often what the church is like. Many of you sitting here today, this is your family. This is your family. You're in the swimming pool. But actually, we're each doing our own thing. And we're all splashing around. And one of you is on the lilo, and one of you is like my robust boy, and you're charging around, but oaks are getting bloody noses. Not intentionally, but it's just the way that it happens. One's got a surfboard. We're all doing it. And it's and people are wanting to jump into the story, but possibly feel like, geez, I don't know what I'm going to get. If I, if I jump in, what am I, I going to find? And so God started to speak to me around this thing, just about actually the, this whirlpool. And, and uh, when we start moving together, you know what a whirlpool is? When, so when, and we do it in our, in our swimming pool as a family sometimes. We all start moving together. And so the water starts going like this. And you can then actually lift up your feet, and you don't even have to do anything, and you get carried along by this. And my four-year-old loves it. Because now suddenly when he arrives, and we're in this whirlpool, suddenly he runs, and he's like, ah, oh, I know where my gap is. I know, I know the consistency of movement. I know what's going to happen. I know when I jump and I land in that space, I'm going to get swept up and I'm going to move in that direction. And I don't even have to work hard because the other people who are doing all of this, I'm just going to get swept up in the motion. And so we start to say, actually, God doesn't just desire us to be part of a family, to belong in it, but he actually decides, he actually asks us to arrange ourselves under some kingdom activity, under godly order, so that we're all moving in the same direction, so there's a whirlpool, and in that, we start to influence society. You know the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter, uh, oh, I shouldn't have said that because I don't know where it is, um, in, in <laughs> Genesis chapter 7-ish. Keep reading. It'll be good for you. Just keep reading and you'll find the Tower of Babel. And uh, what's happening is all these guys, are, they're building together. They're building this thing. All they, they could all speak the same language. And God looks down upon this and, and God in his triune state in his Godhead, he says, look what they're doing. Because they said, let's build a tower up to the heavens for our glory, for our name. And he looks down and he says, look at them. Look what they can accomplish. If they are united, they can accomplish anything. And at that point, it was for their glory, so God says, let's confuse their language. So when language gets taken out of the equation, suddenly they can't do it. But now, by the Spirit, there's a common language that as we come into the family and we start to move in a whirlpool, what can't we do when all authority uh, has been given to us because it was given to Jesus? And He says, I now give it to you. And so we start to be able to move together, and, and we can build the proverbial Tower of Babel, but hear what I'm saying, but for the glory of God. 
Because the question is, do you really believe that you can change Tableview and Milneton and the, what is this? Is this West, the West Coast? Even going into the center of Cape, do you believe that you can change this city? Because I tell you, I come from Durban and I believe that you can change this city. If you would not just be in the swimming pool, but start to move in coordinated formation. Is that right? And so I'm going to be speaking on one aspect of that out of Isaiah chapter 62. Okay. Did I give you enough time to turn there? So how's this? It starts in verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not keep silence, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. I, I'm going to do this kind of stop-start, right? So uh, have you ever felt like you're asking, you, you're speaking to God, and you're saying, God, please, I, I'm asking you questions, but he's gone quiet on you. Have you ever felt that? Okay, you've got to push in a little bit more. This is a dialogue, even though I've got the microphone. So have you ever asked God a question, and you're kind of going like, actually, God, why are you not answering me? Yeah? I read this, and this is what, I, this is, so this is what God spoke to me, and I'm, and I'm hoping it will help you. I suddenly started saying, hey, maybe my questions, I'm in the wrong conversation. Because actually, my Bible tells me, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. And that I, we're going to read a little bit later, actually talking, it's God. So Isaiah, this prophet, is speaking on behalf of God. So that I is God. So there is something that God will not keep quiet about, that he will not keep silent about. So if God has gone silent on us, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Are we asking the wrong questions? Because if we're asking the right questions, he said, I'm not going to keep quiet. I will keep telling you. I will keep speaking to you because this is what my heart is. And it says, and he even goes on, he's so kind. He doesn't even leave us trying to guess what it is. He says, until your righteousness goes forth as brightness and salvation as a burning torch. So anything that comes to salvation, that has to deal with salvation and righteousness, God is always going to be speaking. Always. And so if we're asking questions for can I get a bigger house? Or can I, get, can I just get that white picket fence so that I, I, I don't have to do that? Or can I just be part of the family without having to get into formation? Can I, just, can I sit on the stairs of the swimming pool? Can I? God's probably going to keep quiet. But when we start asking the question, God, how does my, my life fit into the purposes of God? How, how can I actually start? Acts chapter 17 says, you are here, believer in God. You are here, for this time, this season, in order that some may come to know Jesus. And so I've got to ask this question of all of us, that out of Isaiah chapter 62, out of Acts chapter 17, if people, if, if you know Jesus here, and people aren't coming to know Jesus through you, we've got to ask the question, are you living in the purposes of God? Which is quite a, it's like a, sis. I don't say that to be harsh to you. I would answer that question as well. See, you're not here so that you can earn a living and look after your family. Acts 17 doesn't give us that option. You're here for this season that some may come to know Jesus. That's why you're here. And the fact that God is gracious is He supplies work and He supplies a home and He gives us families and He gives us friends to do it with. Verse 2, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. I absolutely love this. I've got some mates who were in their 
previous life, 20 years ago, did some things that they really shouldn't have done. And to this day, to this day, they battle to get jobs. Because every time their CV gets put in front of an employer, their name is synonymous with what happened 20 years ago in the city of Durban. And so when God talks about salvation, Isaiah starts speaking and he says, actually, God's not going to keep quiet until salvation goes forward as a burning torch. And God immediately says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new name. So when salvation comes, he doesn't just rescue us out. These men haven't just stopped what they did 20 years ago. In God, there's a new name. I, I love that, that actually what God does is he removes us from our past. He rescues us from it, but actually removes it so that our name is no longer synonymous with that which went before. He gives us a new name. It's like the Witness Protection Program. I don't know if you watch America. I don't even know if it's... Do we have any cops here? Do we have Witness Protection Programs in South Africa? I'm not sure. I've never been on that side of the law on the wrong... They're saving cyclists today. But, But from watching American TV, you know, this Witness Protection Program where actually you get... You come forward with a testimony of actually that's the that's what's happening in the dark world. But I've come forward, and then they get given a new name and protection. Why? Because actually they come with evidence against the darkness, and the cops know that these people will now fight for justice against the darkness. And just to close that loop, for those of us that didn't quite get it, it's exactly the same in the kingdom of God. God says, actually, I rescue you out of darkness, and now I give you a new name. And actually, you kind of go into my witness protection program. I know all examples fall short somewhere, but you go into a witness protection program, You've got a new name because actually I know now you're on this side of the law. You're on this side and actually you're now going to become an agent of change against the things of darkness. You shall be a crown. Verse 3, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This absolutely staggers me. A crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Who wears a crown? A king. Okay. Uh, It wasn't a trick question. So a king wears a crown, and so this is what God does. He doesn't make his own crown. He doesn't make his own crown out of jewelry. So when he's parading in front of all the kings of the earth, and he's one of the kings, and we've got to choose who's the king of kings and the real king, what he says is, actually, you are the crown in my hand. You. And so work with me for just a second when the king of kings is sitting with Julius Caesar as the king of Rome, and they're now having a conversation, and Julius Caesar has this lavish gold uh, crown with these jewels and everything like that, and uh, Jesus rocks up without any crown on his head. And Judas says, how can you even be in my prayer? You call yourself a king. And Jesus' response is, well, just let's see how our people treat us. And we'll see where true authority lies. But you know what this does? It places such a, when, when this kind of unlocked in me, it, was, it places such a responsibility on me. Now, actually, God's saying, I'm not wearing a crown. You are my crown. Therefore, if you don't show me off well, if you're not a good sign of my authority, that reflects on my kingship. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm like, oh, God, please remove any flaw in me. If I'm a jewel in your crown, remove any flaw in me. If I am a representation of your authority and kingship. But this is what God does. So he removes us from the past. He gives us a new name because he's shouting out about salvation. And then he says, and you are the sign of my authority on this earth. You are the crown. Radical. 
Eh? See, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and this is a word from the prophet that helps us understand something of what the church, how she finds her identity and her formation so that we can start creating a whirlpool and not just be jumping in the swimming pool. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I'm just going to pass one comment on this uh, this particular section and then move on. But uh, I think today, have you ever seen a young man marry a young woman? You know how jealous they are. They can't wait for honeymoon. It's like, hey, intimacy. We want to be together. We want to, it's like nothing gets in my way. It's, it's, it's that tunnel vision. Hey? Oh, come on, come on, life changes. Come on, life changes. It's, uh, it's that tunnel vision of a young man marrying a young woman. And this is what Isaiah says. Actually, the Lord delights in you. A young man, as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. You want to know one of the, the hindering things of the local church today? Is that men are not marrying the bride. I, I, I'm a friend of yours. And so I feel like I can come and, and be a friend just in this moment with a, an encouragement don't just sit here on a Sunday. Don't just be in the family pool. Marry yourself. Marry, give yourself completely and fully because then we can start to see righteousness and justice and a representation. We, we become a sign. We become the crown that God is asking for, that God is intending us to be. You with me? I've got no time on this watch here. Sorry, bro. Okay, I'm good. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night, and they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. May I ask this? Who knows Jesus here? I, who knows Jesus here? I'm, I'm aware that some of you may be on a journey towards him. And, I, and this is a great place to be. You've come to a great, you've come to a great family that loves Jesus. But uh, uh, if you know Jesus here, that means today you woke up and you remembered that you knew Jesus. Yeah? So the prophet says, you who put the Lord in remembrance. So that means all of us, not just the elders, not the preacher, not the worship guys up here that can play musical instruments. All of us who put the Lord in remembrance. How's this? Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. God is inviting us into a story. He's saying, hey guys, don't use your own resources. Don't exhaust yourself with your own strategies. God, what my purpose, my will, I want to do this, I want to do that, I think I'm this, I think I'm... God's just saying, hey, give me no rest. You who put the Lord in remembrance, give me no rest. Keep speaking to me, keep speaking to me, and I'll keep shout out. Keep shouting out about righteousness and salvation because that's what my heart is for. And I'm going to keep calling you. I'm going to keep calling you. Don't give me rest. He's inviting us into the lavishness and the riches of his resource. Yeah. This is how I picture it. Okay, so now, I, I consider myself to know a little bit more than the example I'm about to use about the Godhead. Okay, but let's, let's pretend God is not everywhere through the Spirit of God. Okay. 
just work with me for the example. Because I've tried to work out this thing of, so what does take no rest, what does it look like? How can we give the Lord no rest? And, I, and this is kind of a picture that I have. Uh, it's kind of like this. So Mark, at this earlier today, he's busy praying because there's a marriage in trouble, and he's saying, God, will you intervene with that? And at the same time, Wayne is, is over there, and, and he has an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus. And at the same time, I'm doing something, and, I, and I'm, I'm contending for justice in Durban. And at the same time, Sean is, is doing something over there. And I can picture... Uh, this picture is not 100% true, but work with me. It's kind of like Mark starts praying and the Holy Spirit starts coming this direction. Then Wayne starts praying and the Holy Spirit, whoa, 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 okay, I've got to come over here now. And now Richard's praying and, now, and I'm over here and now Sean. And, now, and you can picture God. It's like that's what it means for God to take no rest. It's like when the church begins to pray, when the church begins to act and be activated, when the church starts to move, it means we're not giving him any rest. Because suddenly God's answering that prayer and that prayer and that prayer and yours 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 for healing, for justice, for marriages, for kids. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you've labored, but those who garner it shall eat it uh, and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the course of my sanctuary. Verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the people's. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. So this is, our, this is kind of like a cause and effect and a response uh, kind of scenario that Isaiah is, is representing God in. So what God is saying is, prepare the way. Prepare the way. And, what, and what's the other bookend? And behold, salvation comes. So the, you, we know that only Jesus can save. So, but this is what God is saying, is you, church, prepare the way. So that salvation can come. And how do we prepare the way? We prepare the way by building highways. Make it easy for people. Like lower the mountains, raise up the valleys. Make it easy for people to come to know Jesus. Don't put in complicated religious stuff all over the place. Just build highways. Clear it of stones. Take out the rubbish. Honestly, Church of the Good Shepherd was a great name in 1971. It became a very unhelpful name in contemporary Durban. And so we just cleared the stone and we became Anthem. Because Church of the Good Shepherd speaks of traditionalism and, and, uh, and it speaks of something that we're not. And so we clear the stone, man. Why, why hang on to something that's 40, 50 years old for the say when people are being turned away from Jesus, making it difficult for them to come to know Jesus? So build hours, clear of stones, raise banners. Raise banners. So what are you life changers raising in this city? What banner are you raising? So how's this? So I, I, I don't know about the development here, so I, I can't really speak of it. We've got a, a shopping center called Gateway, and kind of like the whole area has now just become synonymous with Gateway. So we just kind of call it Gateway, Upper Amschlonga. And there is, they're building highways. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know if some of you have been there lately, but it's just like roads everywhere. But actually, if there's no signposts, you won't have a clue which way you're going. We've got to go this way to go this way to get to the airport, and then we've got to go this way to go this way to go down south, and then we, uh, it's like, 
We've got to raise banners so that people know which direction. So what, the, what, the, what is being uh, mirrored in the earthly, what has been mirrored by our municipality, uh, by our government is building because that area is growing. And so what they're doing is building highways. And they're physically clearing rocks. They're clearing stones. And they're going to put up banners. They're going to put up signposts so that people can know. So now it's easier to get from Lower Amschlanger through to Mount Edgecombe and to get from the south of Durban to the north of Durban and uh, to get into the housing estates around there. They're making it easy. And I, and I look and if an ungodly government can get it right, surely, surely the people of God can get it right to build highways and to remove stones and to raise banners. Because what happens? Behold, salvation comes. Because that's the thing that God's talking about. My righteousness and salvation will keep going out. That's the thing that I'm always going to be talking on. You following? I'm, I'm nearly kind of done and then I'm landing it in an anchor point for you as life changes today. Behold, salvation comes, and behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. How's, oh, I long for the day when the church is sought out. I'm not sure about here, but in Durban, the church is not really sought out. It's not sought out for the solutions to economic problems. It's not sought out for solutions to the education state that's taking place. It's not sought out for this. It's not sought out for that. Why? Because as a people of God, we're all doing our own thing in the swimming pool. There's no formation that actually releases. Actually, God's put an education specialist in, and by the Spirit of God, they're coming up with new plans that will unlock all of this nation's education. And in government, no, we put a, a, a man with a, with a spirit in there who is a, has a different spirit and he's able to unlock and see economic hubs and he's able to see these things. And we just limit it to like, hey, I'm coming on Sunday, I'm sitting on the step. And God's saying, no, 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 because what happens is, so from the very beginning, what I keep talking about, if you want to hear my voice, salvation and righteousness, and, I'm, and I've removed your sins from you so that you, and you have a new name, and I'm asking you to marry yourself to the bride, marry yourself, be single focused about it. And then you put Lord in remembrance, give him no rest. And then once, you, once you've given yourself to that, just keep giving him no rest. Keep calling on his name, keep talking. And as you do that, he's going to be giving you strategies for preparing the way, for removing stones, for building highways, for raising banners. And at the end of all of that, salvation comes and the church becomes this glorious thing called sought out. And that is the foundation of the church. Built on the apostles and the prophets. I want life changes to be sought out in this region. Yeah. I want people whose lives are a mess to kind of go, I know, I've seen a banner raised. They will treat me well. Yeah. They will show me a straight path to the solution I need, whose name is Jesus. And so one of these things of raising banners, we turn to the very first chapter in Isaiah, Chapter 1, verse 17, and it says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. 
God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, to the people uh, that are God's people. And so we're able to pull something of that. God's heart hasn't changed for his people. And uh, so we don't have to get caught up on, are we Israel, aren't we Israel? Like, don't get caught up on all of that stuff. God is just talking that actually his people learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to fathers, plead the widow's cause. What's my point in all of this? If we're wanting to raise banners, if you are wanting to raise banners in this city so that this city can be transformed and changed, you've got to understand that all the words that God uses here are action words. Seek justice. I don't know if you've ever played hide and seek in your olden days. I'm not speaking to the kids' class here. On Wednesday, Mark played it. And uh, <laughs> hide and seek. It's, it's an action where you've actually got to go and seek for You've got to go and look for it. I can't just sit here and kind of go, yeah, I'm seeking. No, no, it's, a, it's an action word. Go and seek. Correct oppression. Correct it. Don't just have compassion for oppression. Correct it. May I say, friends, one of the marks, God, God, taught, God gives each church, I think, a, a, like an aspect, a fingerprint of his. And one of the reasons I'm standing before you today with this crew is because one of the marks that he's given to us is this thing of correcting oppression. And so we stand here today to encourage you if, you, if you can maybe rub shoulders with us and learn from us. There's many things that we learn from you. I talk to Mark probably two, three times a week, and we're always bouncing things off each other. There's many things that life changes have inputted into the life of Anthem. But on this one, let us try and input into the life of you. Correct oppression, not just compassion for it. Compassion is the starting point. Correction is the banner raised. Bring justice. Bring justice. Which means your work is not done when you're like, oh, I tried to bring justice, but at the first attempt I got obstructed by the Department of Social Development and therefore I couldn't bring justice to the fatherless. It's like, no, 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 your work is not done. God's going to constantly be shouting out about righteousness and salvation until justice is brought. So who here today is going to stick up their hand and say, I'm going to correct oppression. I'm going to be the representative in this community that's going to start this whirlpool. And other people can tuck in behind you. And when they get tired, it's okay because the movement is already going. And so they can lift their legs and their feet, but they're still sucked in the whirlpool. I'm not coming across angry. I hope I'm coming across passionate. I'm passionate. I'm not angry. (laughs) Definitely not angry. All the, uh, yeah, this energy was supposed to go into the August today. <laughs> plead the widow's cause. Plead. It's, a, it's like it's a legal, it's a legal term. It's, it's stand before the judge and plead the widow's cause. Who of you has access to government here? Who has access to the different departments? Who, like, yeah. let, let people come in and fight the cause on, on the back of your, of your role on the back of this position that God has put you in Acts chapter 17, you're here in order that Jesus may be seen. And so friends, I'm going to call that a day in terms of preaching out of Isaiah chapter 62. But uh, this built on the foundation of the prophets, God is wanting to unlock this banner in you, life changes, to to muscle it up. There There are individuals, Rion and Maria, I know Wayne and Jen, they've been doing things, and there might be some more of you, so I, I'm not excluding you, but, but there's some individuals that have been doing some incredible work. And we've come alongside Rion and Maria and uh, the Recycle Swap Shop because our desire is that we would unlock churches. So the Domino Foundation is not anthems. The Domino Foundation today becomes life changes. It's yours. 
piggyback on the, on the back of those that are creating the whirlpool. Jump in so that you know how you're going. It's yours. If you've got a dream and a desire, you don't need an admin person. You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. Give us a call. Tell Mark. Because by the grace of God, we have unbelievable resources that can just unlock churches so that banners get raised and people come to know Jesus and salvation comes. And so maybe you don't even know Rian and Maria today. They are wearing lycra, which may be obstructive to getting to know them. I get that. But they're one project of, I know, of many that are sitting in your hearts. There are many sitting in your hearts. And you said, oh God, I don't know how I can do this. Can I tell you this, friends? You weren't called to do it on your own. You were called to do it in community. You were called to do it in community. And so all your responsibilities is actually to come before the elders or whichever mechanism, whichever way the elders have, have asked for it to be done, is to come and put that on the table. And maybe it's time for it to be picked up because there's another person that says, hey, that's also my heart and that's also my heart. But you never knew because you were sitting on it. Maybe it will sit on the table for a year or two years or three years as God incubates it in the community. And that's okay. But unless there's conversation, unless there's talking, unless there's these things, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And the Domino Foundation is, is one aspect. I, Jesus must get the glory today. I'm, Domino Foundation doesn't. It's just we're here to serve. Yeah. We're here to catalyze mercy and justice because without it, I believe the local church is failing in one of its fundamental calls and foundation blocks because the foundation of Jesus' throne is justice and righteousness.